You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 463 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined by Mr. Seth Miller today. How are you doing, Seth? I'm doing very well. You know, it's a celebratory day for our industry. Is it? It is. Today is the 120th anniversary of the flight at Kitty Hawk. Yeah, I, I did not realize that. Thank yeah. you. We're, we're recording this on uh, Sunday. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I am careful about saying first flight because I don't want to offend any more Brazilian listeners. <laughs> first power <laughs> flight. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, don't offend them. Yes. A uh, bunch of stuff to talk about today. So we should just jump right in. Foz may join us. We don't know. He might make it. We'll see. Uh, but Porter and Alaska announce a partnership because, I mean, Alaska partners up with everybody, apparently. Yes. And you're very excited about this. And I understand. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm enthused. Okay. <laughs> so I think it's smart to me. The silly thing to, about it to me was that when they initially announced it, um, it like, it came across as this is a interline agreement. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Interline agreement is about the stupidest thing airlines do together. Um, stupid is probably the wrong word, but it's, well, it's the stupidest thing, thing they announce. It's the yeah. Stupidest like, thing they like, oh, we can sort of like talk to each other electronically is basically what that means. <laughs> um, right. You can have a single ticket that includes both airlines on it, but it's not a code share. It's not necessarily preferential fares. It's not necessarily, it's none of those other things that typically add outsized value to consumers. So, yeah. I was skeptical to begin with uh, and then pleasantly surprised to see buried in the release, like paragraph six. Oh, by the way, uh, frequent flyer reciprocity is coming. You can earn points. You can book on each other's sites and you can earn points for Porter flights on the Alaska program more or less immediately. And then vice versa, earning points on Alaska flights in the Porter program coming sometime next year. Yeah. Right. So better. Yeah. I think the the part that I don't really get is the overlap. I mean, I guess maybe Chicago, Newark, Boston are places that they both fly right now. Well, they so Porter, thanks to its E one ninety five E twos, now flies Transcons. Oh, that's right. So Calgary so, and Vancouver. Okay. Well, and L A and San Francisco. Oh, I didn't realize they were doing that. Yeah, they also they're in Tampa now. Some. Uh, Showed a picture of a, one of their planes in Tampa, and I was like, this doesn't compute. Same problem you have. It's, I'm still not ready to rationalize and accept that they have these jets, but they've got like 20 something of them. They just ordered a bunch more, actually, uh-huh. and have more coming. So, yeah, yeah. Um, in that sense, it actually makes a little more sense than you might think. Yep. But uh, wh- what will be interesting to me is to see just how well going from Alaska to Porter works in a sales perspective. Like, where is Alaska going to be able to sell onwards to, and how well do the connections line up? Mm-hmm. And for you, it will probably be like via Vancouver, which is a not terrible, but not great connection place. Yeah, I mean, Vancouver's, I mean, it's it's tight just because of having to get over to the U.S. pre-clearance, like from or from U.S. Air, the U.S. area to, you know, Canadian domestic because you have to clear right. immigration, of course. Vancouver can be very busy at times and it can be very empty at other times. So uh, I've had mixed experiences. I've done it on Air Canada. Like I've done Portland to Vancouver to Montreal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's fine, but you have to give yourself, like I gave myself usually like an hour and a half, which I mean, it makes it for a very early departure from Portland yeah. to, you know, if you want to make it before dinner time to, to right. Montreal or, or Yeah. And then, you know, this is my same problem. Anytime I want to make it 
and I, I have the added complexity of home, both Boston further east and home two hours from Boston airport. But yeah, yeah. if I want to be home for dinner from the West Coast, it's an O-Dark 30 departure no matter what. Yeah. I was I was wondering, I mean, do you think that this could be like maybe Porter adds a Seattle flight? I think they could. Um, I would not bet on Portland. No, no, I'm not. I'm not betting on Portland. I think I think Seattle makes more sense logically. Yeah. Um, and and with Alaska there, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, the the real question be, is going to be in my mind is just how much do they go beyond the interline and the coach and not coach here, but like the Flicker flyer stuff, and do they really start doing uh, preferential pricing? Mm. So that's something airlines will do from time to time. We're like, okay, we'll sell you, you know, seats on our flights if we if you push passengers through to us. You know, you can either pay list price on what those are or you get a discount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that preferential pricing is really what makes these types of things valuable to consumers and pushes additional traffic through. Otherwise, like, you know, it gets real expensive if you have to basically just add two fares together. Yeah, I, I think it could be interesting if they did um, if they did Hawaii, like if they relied on Alaska yes. or Hawaii. I think that's an interesting and I would I would bet that that is a big part of it. Because yeah. you got WestJet that can feed Hawaii through its Vancouver and Calgary gateways, you've got Air Canada that can yeah. feed Hawaii through its uh, Vancouver gateway, and and I don't some of the LCCs from Canada also fly out there. I think so, yeah. I think well, it was Flair. I don't think Flair's around yeah, anymore, Flair, but yeah. some of the others, yeah, yeah, some of the others do. Uh-huh. And so for Porter to have that accessibility, I think gives it some competitive stance in the uh, Canadian market. I'm. I'm going to be real interested to see just how much of Canada uh, or how much of the Q400 thing they really keep as this continues, right? Like, how are you going to keep two basically separate airlines running? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially as like, I want to say like Ottawa is switching more and more to the the E2s, yep. to the Jets. So just how many different places can Porter justify operating these props as opposed to the Jets? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at their route map now because I was like, "What? Where do they actually fly?" Out of Ottawa, they fly Orlando and it looks like Fort Lauderdale um, to Florida, and then they fly. They do transcons out of Ottawa. They do Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver. Yeah, as well as a bunch of others. So I mean, they they do quite a bit. And out of some of the short stuff, like even I think Montreal is switching to the jet, for yeah, example, yeah. Um, which was originally just the prop. So that's going to be fun to watch. You know, does the prop, do they start retiring out some of those props? Do they end up putting them only at Billy Bishop in downtown Toronto? Because they still, that's all that can fly there. I think, I think that makes sense. Like if you're going from like downtown Ottawa or you're going from Ottawa to downtown Toronto, that makes sense, right? But you have to, right? I mean, yeah. but it'll, yeah, I, I just, I do wonder if there will be ever at, you know, a year from now, will Porter fly anything other than Billy Bishop with its Q400s? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. I mean, it's. I think it's interesting. I didn't realize they flew so many places. I mean, they have Vegas now. They've got a bunch of destinations in Florida. Yeah. Um, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Victoria. They do a transcon from Toronto to Victoria. Um, yeah, they, they, got, they got into the with the. They've gone big with their jets. So. So I mean, it's. I mean, maybe they're taking it the smarter route than WestJet did, where it was like, let's go long haul, and they're like, we'll take it slow and build up our Canadian presence, and then, yeah, partnership. Well, I mean, define long haul. I mean. Right, WestJet got the seven eight sevens and went overseas. Yeah, um, and competed directly with against Air Canada and Air Transat there, but lost that. But lost that battle. Very much so. Yeah. Um, these jets obviously can't go overseas, but to have some opportunities. So, I don't know. Yeah, 
Yeah. And Foz has joined us now. So just in time to talk about the AA-787 deferral. Exciting news. <laughs> What's happening here, Seth? Uh, in their quarterly updates, American has shifted delivery of 10 787s out to the end of the decade. Um, wow. So that's the, the short, short answer. Um, and beyond that, I think it, the real question is, you know, why? And we've talked about before Air Canada, or not, sorry, American, got to switch gears here. American sits on a sizable amount of debt. So that's challenging for growth um, and figuring things out. But they keep get, they keep finding money. So like people keep loaning the money. That's not so bad. Um, there are some options there. But eventually, what it, uh, I think Brett Snyder and Cranky Flyer got an interview or a quote from them basically saying, this is what our, this just lines up with our growth plans right now. <laughs> which seems to be slowing growth, which is very surprising to me, given Delta and United set like full speed ahead. Um, one of them is going to look stupid. I mean, but this comes on the heels of also their retraction from Austin, which doesn't have anything to do with 77s, but they, they're just making some strange choices, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, where can they support? What can they support and where and how, right? I mean, we're going to talk about Austin in a little bit, but, uh, I am very intrigued by what's happening. I, I made an offhand comment on Twitter that Alaska should have bought American. <laughs> <laughs> and I was kind of, I only half joking. That would have been impressive. <laughs> well, they'd have better direction. <laughs> well, they'd have better something. <laughs> so where do these, where do these 780s, uh, 77s go in, instead of American, right? Like, I mean, I'm sure Boeing wants to deliver them somewhere. Yeah, we'll see, right? Like, there is a rumor floating around that Ty wants to order 80 by bodies. Okay. Which is, you know, four times the size of their current long haul fleet. So that's not that big a deal. Just, yeah. Um, but, I mean, it's possible that United picks them up. Are they going to get their Dash 9? Yeah. Uh, and to be very clear, none of these are like assembled yet. These are theoretical delivery slots more than two years away, mm. as far as I know. So I, I don't think that would be a problem. Uh, for I mean, Boeing obviously will want to place those slots somewhere, but I don't think it's like the you know the NT is not taken ups that are like already built and now become white tails that have to get resold somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the Thai one is dumbfounding to me just based on how many planes that would be and what size, what growth that would represent for them. Uh, it's a fun rumor, but I don't know. I just re- reading the tea leaves on Americans' growth plan, like. They don't have a strong trans-Pacific network. They don't have a strong transatlantic network other than the partner hubs. It's mediocre. I mean, it's there, mm-hmm. but it's and, and it's seasonal. And so, like, what do you do with these planes? They're increasing. Buenos Aires JFK service now will be double daily. Like, next, I just went there. So, it's just, it's weird to me. This isn't really surprising from AA, though. <clears throat> like, to your point, right? AA has never really grown their international presence much. Uh, Other than South America, South America and Heathrow, yeah, right. And they they've slowly been adding more routes, um, but they're not as aggressive as the other two, and they tend to be very skittish. So, and they have a lot fewer wide bodies now than they did pre-pandemic. Right. So they retired their A three thirties and seven six sevens. That is, so they they can't expand. But then, given the opportunity to expand with this new order, they're like, eh, maybe later. Mm-hmm. 
And so that's that makes me wonder. But like at the same time, right? Like why they sh- they have to be looking at American or I'm sorry, Delta and United and going, oh, these guys are you know they're growing and or they're adding all these like seasonal routes and doing all this stuff to you know where people want to fly and someone's got to be going, yeah, we should do that too. We got we got a couple extra planes or we can pull planes from this such and such destination or whatever. Maybe they I, just don't give up I, the Heathrow slots? I don't know. It's, I think a views its prime competition as Southwest, not United and Delta. Oh, God. Well, it, it, you know, you laugh at that, but Foz, you know, raises a good point. And Brett's post, which we linked in the notes here, if you look at it, he's drawn a map and he's like, and he's coming with something like, if you draw a line connecting Los Angeles and New York City, mm-hmm. anything south of that in the Americas is what American considers its market. Hmm. And to a pretty strong extent that makes sense right like yes they've got the chicago hub but only sort of um right it's the weakest of them and beyond that they they went heavy on sudden fun routes earlier in the pandemic and they're pretty they're pretty strong holding on that and then you get the latin america central america south america stuff where they've always been a little bit stronger like they're doubling down rather than trying to expand into newer softer potential markets i feel like Mm. I would argue that Philly is weaker than Chicago, though. Okay, okay. I don't know. I'm... From a from a load perspective, or from a load perspective and number of flights, there's a lot of small destinations AA serves out of Chicago. Yeah, that that uh, that yeah, out of Philly they don't do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Philly is like there's periods of the day when it's completely dead. It's like Pittsburgh. Anyway, I'll, I'll move on. Uh, <laughs> Pittsburgh's like that all day. <laughs> uh. So let's talk about Airbus and uh, Turkish. We had hinted at this back at, I think it was a Dubai air show. Yeah. It sounded like Turkish was going to get some jets from Airbus. Uh, and it's now actually, like, they've actually gotten an order. The order has finally come in. Yeah, Faz, you're right. Uh, this month, or June of next year, O'Hare, 10,500 departures compared to 8,300 for American. American has more, excuse me, to Philadelphia. Philadelphia has more ASMs because of the transatlantic stuff. But yeah. Yeah. interesting. I Thank you for that. Um, sorry, catching up. Uh, 150 A321s to Turkish. That's a lot. <laughs> 70 A350s, including 50 of the 900s, 15 of the 1000s, and five freighters. Um, yeah, that's a lot of lift. And Boeing is theoretically also sort of supposed to get a big order like this at some point too. So, what are they? Re- are they replacing all the 777s and the A330s? I guess I thought the A330s were pretty much gone, but maybe I'm wrong. I think they still have some of those flying around. It's this is a replacement and a growth plan. Turkish sees itself as a natural competitor to Emirates, basically, and in some ways demonstrate like right. Turkish has more countries served than any other airline, if I remember correctly. Not necessarily destinations, but countries. Mm-hmm. So they are playing on the weak lira, strong, and or. The relative discrepancy in the currency where they can pay in a cheaper number but charge in dollars and euros. Yeah. And do good things and have, you know, low cost labor. They're trying to grow and become that connecting hub much more than they already were. Yeah. They've got 57 330s active right now. Okay. Yeah. That's quite, quite a few then. Okay. So that's, I mean, those are going in probably some of the older 777s. Yeah. The 57 uh, 330s and 35 passenger 777. Okay. So not and not all those will get replaced immediately. I think 
keep coming back to, you know, could, could they take some of the A's deferred 77? Sure. Um, but when you look at the size of the planes uh, Turkish is picking and what they operate, right? Like, the th- they only got 350s in this order, not 330 Neos. Mm-hmm. Um, could they maybe do 787s at the smaller end to try to replace some of the 330s and the 350s represent growth in 777 replacements, I guess? Well, of those 330s, like 21 are two 200s. Yeah. So there's a smaller variant already, so a 350 could be good fit there. I feel like 350 is 900 significantly larger, capacity-wise. Okay. Here's a question for you. I just like looked, uh, I was like looking at Istanbul Airport. Indigo has a 77W mm-hmm. op- operate, painted in their colors, operated yep. by Turkish. Yes. What? What? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize that. We talked about this before, I think. Uh, uh, we probably, probably did. This is a workaround to bilateral limitation, bilateral treaty limitations on the number of flights the different airlines can operate in and out of Turkey, and oh. stem, er, in and out of India, more to the point. Mm-hmm. So uh, Turkish is maxed out on its capacity in and out of India, as are the Emirates and Qatar and all those, all the Middle Eastern airlines. They have very their passenger capped numbers, so yep. it's not even number of flights, it's actually total number of passengers carried, I believe, and they came up with this agreement whereby Indigo will operate, will quote-unquote operate the international flights. They get sold as code share. They've got uh, approval for code share all the way through to the United States. So you can buy a Turkish or Indigo ticket all the way to the United States on this plane. If I remember correctly, you can only buy the business class seats via Turkish. Indigo still only sells the economy stuff because, you know, they're a local carrier, but... Yeah, it's very much a play on how to get large volumes of people to Turkey and then onward to the West. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah, it's. Int- I, I didn't realize. Maybe we talked about it and I forgot about it. I, I just. It feels like maybe maybe Turkish is just <clears throat> you know looking at the the war and they're like we can carry a lot of Russians to a lot of places. That's kind of how I feel all this. So. Oh well, definitely that they <laughs> massively ramped up capacity into Russia. Yeah, seven seven Ws to like all three of the Moscow airports. So. Yeah, and the high de- the highest density ones. There's actually more seats on some of their Moscow lift than even these uh, Indigo wet leases, which are very high density. Yeah, yeah. They're pushing max config on the seven seven W. Crazy. Um, and then Jow uh, got their first A three fifty one thousand. Swanky. Yeah, it looks really nice. It is a very nice layout inside. We talked a little bit about it when they sort of released the initial set of seats pictures and stuff. But yeah, service launch will be early next year. Uh, JFK is first when they get a second one. I think JFK goes to daily and then the plane after that lets them add DFW as their second destination with it, which is an odd. I think it's kind of an odd choice, but I guess I guess with the AA partnership, it makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, with the joint venture and onward feed with American, I feel like it gets uh, it covers a lot of additional destinations and like. It's either that, or I feel like London. Mm-hmm. I was I was thinking on yeah. um, so you know, I, eventually I didn't realize. I mean, it's only five seats less than the triple seven Ws, um, and more coach seats. Um, fee, I guess a big drop off is premium economy is smaller than in the seven seven Ws. So, um, yeah, and on the heels of this, they also retired their last seven seven two. Yeah, was that one of the domestic ones? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I flew the Mojave the other day. 
Yeah. It's just crazy to me when you look at the C-map, you're like, oh, economy class doesn't start until door three. <laughs> just, I mean, yeah. I, that was my A&A flight coming back from Japan a couple weeks ago. Really? Yeah. Like we were, I was in business class still and was behind the wing. <laughs> That's just weird. It's just, I mean, I guess with the the economics and things, it, it makes sense and this, these new seats and they can, yeah. 30 inch pitch or whatever they can shove people back there but yeah <laughs> it's funny um oh yeah these are the ones these are the seats with like the headphones built into the headrest yeah like the speakers i'll be really interested once someone takes this to see what they think of that yeah i've used those in a demo environment before it what'd you think it worked huh? like standing next to like you know we they had it in a us in a like an insulated soundproofed room. They played ambient engine noise around us. And then you could, they had a seat sitting in the middle and you could stand over the seat and not hear the music or the movie. And the person in the seat, you know, fully reclined was like, yeah, I was like speaking the words of them. Really? Beans. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So science, man. Yeah. It's wild. Um, and then Qantas got their first a two twenty. Yeah. So pretty. It is. It's a cool livery on it. It's got this, it's, uh, I don't know, it's like green. Is it like indigenous colors, I'm guessing? Yeah, it's a nifty pattern. Um, yeah. Um, it's really cool. And yeah. It, it, from, it got ferried from Quebec via to Sydney via Vancouver, Honolulu, and Nadi, <laughs> which is fun. Yeah, and these are 717 replacements. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. Significant additional range. Yeah. I mean, they, could they technically do a trans, I mean, they could do a trans gun, I'm guessing. Because they could do a transcon in the U.S. Yeah, in Australia, yeah, they. I mean, there's too much premium demand on like Perth, Sydney, so yeah. I doubt we'll see that. But, um, yeah, it's a nice little operation. Yeah, that's great. Um, WestJet is going to fly to Seoul. I'm excited for this. This is next summer. They're launching it as a seasonal, three days a week, um, and increasing Tokyo to daily. But when they initially announced the plans to do the 787s, and we, you sort of alluded to this earlier about they basically went head-to-head against Air Canada on transatlantic stuff Mm -hmm. uh, when they actually launched. But before they launched and just when they made the order, there was some strong discussion about doing trans-Pacific routes and using their relatively northern located hub in Calgary to give efficient connectivity for U.S. passengers, especially going to Asia. Mm -hmm. And this finally sort of gets there. Or not gets there, but it adds another option that is supposed to take care advantage of that, and still got to see just how efficient that can be given the Russia overflight challenges or lack yeah. thereof. Yeah, um, you don't have to go through Russia to get to Korea and Japan, but it saves a little bit of time and fuel, um, especially if you're trying to do a nor- more northerly routing. But I like this one. Is is it? Do you think this kind of builds on some of the Sky Team stuff, or? Partners, partners with Korean a little bit. You think that you see that coming? Possibly. Um, with only three a day or three a week, three a day would be a lot. Only three a week. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. To... Um, it's a little harder to build some of that onward stuff. Yeah. Um, and you know, sort of has a Delta partnership transborder, but only sort of. Mm-hmm. Right. It's never that one. Never really fully played out. If I, as far as I can remember. Yeah. Yeah. So. We'll see. You know, let's see what happens. I yeah. mean, it's good for WestJet. We'll see what, what they do long-term with it, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, um, you know, 
you mentioned uh, Sky Team there. If I wanted to briefly toss in going back to the Porter Alaska thing, does this bring Porter closer to One World? Um, I don't think so. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't see that. Maybe maybe long term, this is like a first step, yeah. but I don't. I don't think it's going to be something we see in the next year or two, three even. So, um, let's talk about uh, British Airways and Stansted. This one's fun. I like this a lot. So BA is going to fly from three cities in the continent, the European continent, up to Stansted starting this coming summer. Uh, what do I got here? It's uh, Ibiza, Florence, and Nice. Okay. Uh, operated by City Flyer, which flies Embraer's on behalf of BA, typically from London City Airport. Hmm. And looking at the flight times, they will... Each of these flights will only operate Saturday into Stansted and Sunday back. So Saturday afternoons, all the planes will land at Stansted overnight. And then Sunday morning, they'll fly back out to the beach destination. And then Monday, they fly to city. And well, not even Monday, Sunday night, instead of returning back to uh, Stansted, they return back to city. And the reason is city airport is still closed on the weekends. They close from 1 o'clock on Saturday until 11 o'clock on Sunday. 1 p.m. to 11 a.m. So these land at 11.05 a.m.? Not quite, but basically. <laughs> <laughs> right? The plane, after it gets out to Nice, can't go back to stand, can't go back to city. Yep. So typically, they would just stay there. So they stay at the remote destination, and the crews would overnight and whatever. This is basically very low marginal cost trying to get some extra utility out of the planes and see if there's some markets where they can drag, you know, a week-long holiday maker, right? Because if you think about it, the flight times are actually pretty good for, mm-hmm. you leave Sunday first thing in the morning, Saturday it's a mid-morning, early afternoon departure from your beach, so you can, you know, check out of the hotel, but you're not, like, waiting around too long, you get back home, you deal with whatever you need to deal with on Saturday evening, Sunday, and then you're back at work on Monday. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think there's some potential there and I just, I still also can't get over the fact that city still keeps close on the weekends. Well, and it's not even, I mean, it's like Saturday really when you think Sunday morning, yeah, Sunday morning. Okay. What do you do? (laughs) It's, it messes with me. I actually pretty sure I was trying to help Ed pizza find a flight from Amsterdam to London for some work thing. We were supposed to hang out and then he had some stuff switched and did it or something funny. It's like, why can't I move my flight a day earlier? And we couldn't figure it out. And I, fall, and I suddenly remembered, it's like, oh, it's because the airport's closed. It's like, wait, what? Yeah. It's one of those moments like, you don't think about, you know, some airports close overnight sort of and this and that, but just fully closed for the weekend is weird. Yeah. It's like the anti-LaGuardia. <laughs> <laughs> LaGuardia wants the longer stuff on Saturdays. City just wants nothing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, what's, I mean, what's the catchment for Stansted? Is it like stuff that's, is it really London or is it more kind of like north like cambridge and stuff is that do people fly out of stansted from those locations i have no idea i think i did it once because there was a weird thing and i took a train and then i left yeah it's like it's a lot of easy jet right or ryanair i think it's easy jet yeah i don't know yeah yeah i was just wondering it's because it's far i mean it's not close have you flown out of there fuss nope yeah it's It's ryanair ryanair okay it's 5500 departures uh, EasyJet is only a couple hundred. Yeah, it's a very much a Ryanair hub. Yeah, I do wish I had caught the Continental flight back when it flew. Oh, they used to fly to Stansted, huh? They flew to everything but Heathrow at one point. Luton, Stansted, Gatwick. 
I remember the Luton flights, and I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, I like how we call it, like, London Luton, and it's like, no, it's basically, you know, Cambridge again. <laughs> so, or it's basically... Some yeah. people still call South End London Airport. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, what else we got? Mexicana is converting military 737s for their civilian ops. So... We talked a couple weeks back about the a picture came out of the first Mexicana plane. It was an E-145, and we all got a good laugh out of that. Apparently, now they are taking some 737s that they operated as military transports and have converted them and repainted them into the new commercial operation colors. They're still going to be operated by the military for this commercial airline. This whole thing is such a boondoggle. I love it. Yeah, it seems like a freaking mess. Yeah. Uh, this just, that's weird. It's going to be great. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. They're going to start using military airports, too? Like, I mean, technically, the hub is the old military base in North of Mexico City, so yes. That's, that's true, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, and then lastly, uh, um, I think, Foz, you put this in here. United giving up on Brisbane? Brisbane? So, excuse me, I was corrected by an Australian. Brisbane. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't last very long. It started, what, two weeks ago? This is just the L.A. Yeah. route. Yeah. But uh, San Francisco apparently is not doing that great either. Yeah. But San Francisco's been around longer, if I remember correctly, right? I mean, this that's not wasn't new this season. No, I don't believe it was new this season, but I don't think no. it's year-round. Yeah. And so then the question becomes, Does did L.A. siphon off that traffic? And if they kill off the L.A., does it bring the connection back to San Francisco and that route becomes stronger again? But, yeah, they're mid-February through the end of March. It's dead now for the L.A. Brisbane route. Brisbane, sorry. Yeah, I, I I find it odd. I mean, prices. I'm still in Fazas. Prices are astronomical. If you look at the either flight, like thirty five hundred dollars in coach, and they're empty. So, I have I have a theory as to why people aren't flying it. Uh, I mean, even during high season, like now, I guess is that high season? Uh, no, no, it's high season. It's the the LA flights almost empty on every day that I looked. I mean, it's surprising to me because the capacity between the states and Australia is so constrained. Yeah. Because Qantas is the only one that offers other Brisbane Brisbane service. LAX to Brisbane, yeah. On an A330. So, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. Maybe they need it because they're going to convert their 787-9s to high J. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I did get some follow-up on that. Someone was suggesting that more than aircraft positioning it's pilot related and where they needed pilots and getting pilot bases to be stable and stacked so. oh so so removing the kate uh, the johannesburg Dulles flight helps with that that kind of yeah. makes sense that kind of makes sense okay well yeah what were you gonna say fuss sorry i was gonna say is that why they're moving to 772 oh, that's, i mean that's the other thing yeah i think that's i think that's what Foz was, or what seth was meant meaning was pilot bases and getting getting stability with pilots so I want, like, can a seven seven two do that wrong? An ER, and not uh, you know not be on fumes when it gets to the coast. I think I think they're going to rate restrict it. They're going to have to, and it's more cargo capacities. Is the other thing we were talking about. But you again, if you weight restricted, then you limit your cargo. I mean, I think they limit passengers and take the cargo. Depends on what you know. Yeah, a, a, it depends on what who's paying and how much. But you, at the end of the day, weight restriction is total capacity. So yeah. one or the other. Um. Yeah, Delta's making some changes also on its A350s. Uh, we're going to talk about a little bit and the bonus topics that also touches on this. So it's 
that's definitely a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for our Patreon subscribers, we're going to talk about uh, Southwest and their flight attendant uh, vote debacle, um, some JSX movements, uh, Air New Zealand's trying Starlink, and uh, Lufthansa Group's bringing back Tel Aviv service uh, soon. Um, and then we're going to talk about uh, Delta boosting Austin, and uh, they're also their high J A350s. So um, stick around for that if you're a Patreon subscriber. If not, happy travels. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Take care. See you later.